This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you spend any time following American politics on social media in recent years, it's likely you will come across the QAnon conspiracy theory. One of the lasting images of the January 6th storming of the US Capitol is that of the so-called QAnon shaman, the horn-wearing, shirtless writer with his face painted red, white and blue, waving an American flag. Others involved in the violence wore or held aloft the Q logo and the Where We Go One, We Go All slogan. Two years on from those events, what is the state of QAnon? Does it still have the grip over its disciples that it once did? And is that number growing or shrinking? And can we truly tell? I'm Jacob Jarvis, and here to discuss this with me for the Bunker USA is Mike Rothschild, author of The Storm Is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. Hey, Mike, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Mike, as the title of your book suggests, QAnon is pretty wide-ranging, but in as simple a way as possible, what was the thrust of the initial conspiracy theory? So the initial version of, of QAnon, the one that sort of generated all the media coverage, was the one that existed from October 2017 when the first Q posts were made on 4chan up until Joe Biden's inauguration. And the idea was that Donald Trump was running a secret military intelligence team that was concocting a grand plan to purge the deep state and the Democratic Party and the banking and Hollywood elite through a series of mass arrests that would be unveiled by the president on Twitter and would result in hundreds of thousands of tribunals and executions and peace and freedom for everybody after that. And what is it the elite were apparently doing? The, the usual pedophilia, uh, occult rituals, uh, suppressing secret technology, rigging elections, assassinating their enemies. They were they were the same evil cabal that's uh, run the world for the last 2,000 years. And of course, when you start talking about 2,000-year-old evil cabals, you're eventually coming back to Jewish people. So so, of course, there's an enormous amount of anti-Semitism in QAnon, an enormous amount of racism, and all of that was kind of fed through these cryptic posts that were being made on first 4chan and then on 8chan. The last Q drop was in November. Did it go down particularly well with the followers? Is Q still the person who's leading this movement, does it seem? So it did not go down well, and it's a it's a tangled history. The last drop from the uh, the Q classic period, as I guess we have to call it now, was December 2020. So it was after the election, but before the inauguration. It was before January 6th, and it was uh, it was a video of it was a Trump campaign video with the Twisted Sister song "We're Not Gonna Take It," and it got pulled down for uh, copyright violation. So for quite a while, the last ever Q drop was a dead link, which I think is uh, is perfectly fitting. But then in the summer of 2022, so about a year and a half later, uh, Q returned with some very cryptic nonsense that really didn't say anything or advance the story. And there were a couple of drops in the summer, and there were a couple more around the midterm elections. 
And the Q faithful by then really didn't need or even really want new Q drops. There was nothing interesting in them. There was nothing worth analyzing. So they kind of got excited, and then they very quickly moved on. Without a leader in the form of Q, is there still an overarching narrative thread? There really isn't. Q is is much more now a philosophy than uh, than a sort of organized movement around these cryptic posts. The Q mythology has really become mainstream in American conservatism. The idea that the election was stolen, that uh, COVID was a hoax designed to, uh, you know, propagate mail-in voting, and it was created in a Ukrainian biolab funded by George Soros, and the vaccine will uh, make your heart explode if you take it. That stuff is now just mainstream Republicanism. I mean, that that is everywhere in Republican social media. You've got members of Congress saying that stuff. It's not crazy cranks anymore. It's just sort of everybody now. Obviously, what they're saying is nonsense, but does any of it line up with the intersecting theories at all, like a kind of conspiracy theory Marvel universe? Does it work together at all? It really does. Q is very malleable, and it's 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 very good at absorbing things that are going on in the world and reflecting them back out through the lens of its conspiracy mythology. So while Q was going, you would have drops that would reflect things that had just happened in the news that day. I remember one there was this was a couple of years ago now, and maybe 2019, where the, there was a plane hijacking in Seattle, and whoever it was just sort of flew in a circle for quite a while, and I think they crashed. And somebody pointed out that it looked like a queue. Well, you know, anything that goes in a circle for a long time and then, you know, goes out of that circle is going to look like a queue. It doesn't matter. It's not saying anything. But Q would take that and say, hey, how can you deny that this is real? Of course, you know, it's mathematically impossible for this to be a coincidence. And then Q believers go, ha, you know, Q is talking to us. Q is in control. So Q is very good at taking the events of the day and reinterpreting them through the lens of the conspiracy. And now you have that everywhere. Every time something of any kind of importance happens, you immediately have all of these conspiracy gurus who go back and sort of retrofit it to fit in with what's going on with the conspiracy. So a well-known person dies. Well, it had to be because of the vaccine. And we've been talking about how the vaccine is evil and it's a, it's a hoax to kill everybody. So Q is the sort of model for taking world events and refitting them to tell your own personal story. Has it turned into a sort of fan fiction series where essentially anyone can get involved and make up their own conspiracy and call it part of the QAnon canon? Yeah, it really has. It's it's really turned into a, an almost choose your own adventure version of conspiracy <laughs> theories. So you can take something that has nothing to do with QAnon and and roll it into QAnon. Some of the biggest concepts in the Q universe are things that Q never talked about. Q never mentioned John F. Kennedy Jr. still being alive. And if, in fact, there was a drop where somebody on HN asked Q, you know, is John F. Kennedy Jr. still alive? And Q just goes, no. Uh, but that doesn't matter because if if you want to believe it, then you can just tell yourself, well, Q can't say that John F. Kennedy Jr. is alive. That's, you know, that would make the normies go crazy. That would put them in the hospital. We have to pretend that it's not real. So there's a lot of if something happens that doesn't fit with what Q has said, you just pretend that it's all part of the show. And of course, that tracks back to Donald Trump. You know, the, the whole reason why Q took off was it was a way to explain why it looked like Trump wasn't doing anything. Well, he's doing it. It's just secret. But it's not so secret that we can't reveal it through these cryptic drops and rhetorical nonsense. 
has it splintered or is it moving beyond QAnon? Does it feel like then? It's really moving beyond QAnon. The, there are uh, plenty of ways to believe in this grand conspiracy theory without knowing anything about Q, without reading the Q drops. And you find that really with uh, just recently with the depositions of people who are arrested on January 6th or, or for January 6th. They will either they'll be asked about QAnon and they'll say, well, I don't really believe. I don't believe that. I think it's a hoax. I think it's a it's a psyop by the FBI to make us all look bad. So you you have people who believe in all of the same things that Q believes in, but they don't know what Q is or they actively don't want to be involved with Q because the movement has gotten such a bad reputation. They just believe all the same stuff. So that label QAnon has almost gotten toxic to the point where the people who are the biggest fans of its mythology don't want anything to do with it. It's a weird line of like, I loved that band when there were, you know, when they were just playing in their garage and five people were listening to them. I hate them now that they're really popular. It's like a cool cred kind of thing. What purpose has QAnon served to the people who follow it? On some level, is it seeking a community that they feel they've lost? It's absolutely seeking a community. It, it is a, it's an organizing principle. It's a way of explaining why things are the way they are. And what that started with was, why is Trump failing all the time? Why can't he do anything? Why are the traitors not being brought to justice? Why hasn't Hillary been locked up? Well, the answer is, it's we're working on it. It just takes a long time, and we're doing it secretly. Now that Trump is out of power, it really does become a, an organizing principle of, why are so many people taking the vaccine? Why is COVID still around? How come Biden's the president? And with that, you you find a group of people who believe the same things you do. Because the mm. people who are in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers, chances are they don't want to hear about it. And they are probably actively repelled by it. They don't want to talk about pedophiles. They don't want to talk about how the vaccine is poison. They, they will just push you away. But the people in the Q community, in the message boards and on Telegram and in the chats and things like that, these are the same people who believe this stuff. So you're creating your own village, your own universe. And in that village, what you say is the truth. And if the other people don't believe it, well, they're the crazy ones and they'll find out. So it's very much a sense of community, a sense of purpose, and a sense of explanation. Marjorie Taylor Greene was asked about her passport of QAnon and said, well, I, like a lot of people, I had easily gotten sucked into some things I'd seen on the internet. How is the loss of high-profile followers impacting the movement? It's very easy to reconcile all of that stuff and to say, well, they can't talk about it publicly. They can't acknowledge it. It would be too dangerous for them to admit that this is all real. They have to say they don't believe it. You end up making excuses for people rather than really examining why doesn't she just say, hey, yeah, Q is great. I love Q. These are my people. We're going to do this together. You should feel betrayed. You should feel left behind that, that these people are making fun of you. They think you're stupid, but it, it, you just find a way to reconcile all of it in your mind as all being part of the game. And the game just takes over. And I, I say game because it, it, there's, it's hard to think of a better term for it, but these people don't think of it as a game. They think of it as real life, you know, life and death stakes. And it's so complicated and it's so far ranging that you just have to continually check in with yourself and say, well, wh how am I, how am I reconciling this now? So everything that happens is just, well, it had to be this way. It has to happen like this. And, and you just, you never examine yourself and say, why do I believe this? And why does no one publicly acknowledge this? 
I mentioned January 6th in my introduction. It would be easy to dismiss this as craziness and obvious nonsense, as I've said before, but it clearly transmits into real-world action. Beyond January 6th, what real-world action have we seen, and how does it impact American politics? Well, early on, we saw people who were turned on to Q committing crimes. There were multiple murders committed by people who were Q-pilled. There were acts of domestic terrorism, acts of vandalism, acts of violence. Where it is now is not so much uh, those overt acts, but it's the mindset of, if I take the vaccine, it'll kill me. So I'm not going to take the vaccine. And then, of course, you die of COVID. I mean, we've seen all these people who are very turned on to QAnon, very anti-vaccine, and they die of COVID. And people go, oh, how could this have happened? Well, I think it's pretty clear how it happened. You just don't want to believe it. So it it infects people by sort of rewriting the way they view the world and who they trust and who they listen to. And it rewrites your brain to the point where you're not listening to scientists. You're not listening to experts. You're only listening to the gurus and the promoters and the politicians who you think are plugged into your own personal universe. And the results of that are a pandemic that has just gone on and on and on and has proven to be completely resistant to facts. Is there any way of knowing just how many people are into this in America? It's very difficult to tell. The the polling on QAnon was always all over the place. You know, a lot of people don't really know what it was. They don't want to admit that they believe it, but they do believe it. They believe all the tenets of it. They believe all the mythology. They just maybe haven't organized it as QAnon. And of course, now that all of this stuff is so mainstream and all of these beliefs have have infiltrated every aspect of politics from national to the hyper-local where you've got, you know, Q people screaming at school board meetings and city council meetings about vaccines and drag shows and all this other culture war stuff. It is millions and millions of people who believe in some aspect of QAnon, but probably a fairly small number of people who actually would say, I believe the Q is real. Do you think that's part of the problem is that because QAnon, if you believed all of it, is so extreme that even if you believe 2% of it, that's still incredibly problematic? Yeah, it's it's extremely problematic. And it turns into the kind of thing where people will say, well, I don't believe that the Democrats are, you know, cultists. They're not doing, you know, child eating rituals. Uh, You know, there's not a Jewish cabal that runs the world. I just think that vaccines are poisonous and Biden's a fake president and there probably are a bunch of Jews who run the world. So it ends up that you you sand off the really, really weird stuff. And I mean, the the Q drops themselves are bizarre. They're they're inscrutable. They're, They're totally incomprehensible. I think most people don't want to admit that they read these posts decoding them for clues. It's like saying, uh, you know, I, I make business decisions based on reading chicken entrails. You know, people don't want to say that, but they want to believe the big picture stuff. So you find the parts of Q or the conspiracy movement that fit with your worldview and you run with those and you just leave behind the rest of it. Does QAnon intersect with conspiracy theories of the past or has it kind of consumed them? 
It definitely intersects with them. You know, I, I talk about this in the book, the, the tenets of QAnon, the sort of all knowing guru, the secret knowledge, the codes, the great events. That's, uh, almost interchangeable with some currency scams of the early aughts. You know, these things like the dinar scam and the Nasara scam and Nasara is still going. There are still people who believe that this great economic windfall is about to happen. It completely intersects with QAnon. If you go to the satanic panic of the 70s and 80s. It's a perfect fit for QAnon. You go all the way back to the blood libel of the 12th and 13th century. That's a perfect fit for QAnon. You know, you change some of the details, but it, it really fits together very well. Now, where Q is really different is that in especially a lot of right-wing extremism of the uh, of the post-war era, the federal government was the enemy. You know, the, the president was a, was a tyrant who was installed by, you know, Jewish insiders and the, uh, you know, the FBI was evil and the CIA was evil and only, you know, patriots who clung to the Constitution and, and organized themselves could be trusted. Q really flips that in that the the president, if it's Donald Trump, is this sort of messianic figure. You know, Trump is the one who who told his supporters, I'm the only one who can fix it. The idea that a right-wing conspiracy movement would embrace a president like that would have been unthinkable a decade ago. And now they they look at Trump as like the, the answer to all their problems. And, and military intelligence is like the greatest thing that's ever been created. It's a total inversion of the way that the right-wing used to treat these movements. Because Trump is so centric to this, I regularly think of QAnon as being an American-focused theory. But it seemed to have spread further afield. I read about hospitals in Japan being broken into by QAnon disciples. How far-reaching is this thing, and why do people in other countries get bought into it? Yeah, it's extremely far-reaching. You know, we had uh, just a month or two ago the arrest of the this monarchist movement in Germany that was all wrapped up with QAnon. I mean, it's it's hard to think of anything less American than you know wanting to restore the Kaiser and the you know the 1871 German Confederation borders. I mean, I don't I don't think that's in the uh, GOP party platform. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. But <laughs> you, <laughs> who knows you know, what's in that these days? <laughs> who knows what's in it now? But but what you have is a feeling of distrust and a feeling that you are being lied to by doctors, by politicians, by the media, by the experts. That's universal. That is every culture has their own version of someone's lying to us. We need somebody to blame for our problems. Usually it's Jews, usually it's the rich or, or you know, the, the sort of old world people. But that is a very universal construct. And Q is very good at being adapted to take away the very US-centric parts of it and embrace the the distrust, the antipathy toward authority figures, you know, the feeling that you're being lied to, that you're being exploited. And you can do that on the far right, you know, certainly what you had in Germany. You can have that on the far left, the way you've had with the Yellow Vest movement in France, which is kind of a mix of far left and far right. That can translate to Australia, that can translate to Japan, that can translate to Brazil. Every culture has an anti-authority streak, and Q is a great way of kind of galvanizing all of those people. Is there a way to counter this, or are people always going to have this mindset? People will always have this conspiratorial mindset. We we are uh, hardwired to see danger and conspiracy and plotting where we don't know what's going on. You know, you go all the way back to the Great Fire of Rome, and there were people whispering that you know Nero had started it in order to achieve whatever his goals were. There, there's always going to be somebody blaming something, blaming something on somebody else if they don't understand what happened. 
and that you know that goes from caveman days to COVID nineteen. Where we can counter it is where we see it in the people that we love and the people that we care about. Because when you get turned onto a movement like this, you are not shy about it. And where you will broadcast it is social media. You'll be sharing links to Alex Jones episodes. You'll be sharing links to blog posts by anti-vaccine advocates. And that probably is not going to have anything to do with QAnon, but it's going to involve the same mythology that powers QAnon. So these people will talk about it constantly. And if you start seeing somebody do that, that's a place where you can step in and say, hey, you know, that's not a reliable source. Or, hey, you know, that guy was in, has done a lot of anti-Semitic stuff. You find a very real world hook to sort of push back on it. It's not about saying you're an idiot for sharing that, you're stupid, you're crazy, because that is just going to make somebody dig their heels in more. The same way anybody will dig their heels in more when told that they're wrong about anything, you know, saying, hey, it was your day to take out the trash. No, it wasn't. Well, if you have, you know, your, your chart and every other week you take out the trash. No, it wasn't. That wasn't my day. It, it turns into this sort of endless circular argument. But if you just gently say, hey, I don't think that's true or I don't think that's a great source, people don't want to look foolish publicly and they certainly don't want to look hateful or anti-Semitic publicly. But if it goes on and on and on, then they're going to start getting sucked into that more and they're going to stop listening to you. And then that's when they really retreat. And that's when contact gets broken off by most people. But if you find them early on in that process, when they are still kind of malleable enough to good information, you can intercept them. You, you can step in. If the best tactic then criticizing the information, not the person, you know, the message, not the messenger. Because if you say you're wrong, as you say, that will make people just double down on being wrong. That really is the best way is to say, hey, this is not a great source rather than you're crazy for sharing this. But most of the time people fall into this stuff because they want to believe it. They they want it to be true. They want there to be a grand plan, uh, you know, an overarching conspiracy. People want to believe that they are important enough that the powerful people will single them out to be gotten rid of. And that's very hard to step in because, you know, most people's lives are not life and death struggles. Most people are not making decisions about the fate of the world. I mean, I'm not. I, I don't want that power. I don't know why anybody would. But people want to feel like their lives have meaning and that they have power in their existence. And conspiracy theories, whether they're QAnon or, or whatever, are a way of providing that. And it's very hard to, to uh, step in and stop that natural inclination. These people sharing this sort of thing make me angry, but do you reserve some space for pity for them? I do. Not for the influencers. You know, I don't have any sympathy for Alex Jones, David Icke, you know, the the big conspiracy gurus who have, you know, turned this into a million-dollar industry. But I do have pity on the people who get sucked into this and who are just looking for an answer, looking for an explanation for why is this going on? How did this happen? Who did this? If you find it in conspiracy theories, if you find it in scams and frauds and hoaxes, you were vulnerable and you didn't have anybody who stepped in and said, hey, maybe that's not the best path to go down. So I, I do. I do have pity for some of the people, not the insurrectionists, not the promoters, not not the extremists, you know, the violent ones, but the, you know, sort of the rank and file. The people just found this because there wasn't anything else. You mentioned social media. Where is this information spreading at the moment? I did an episode recently about Truth Social. Is that the new ground for this sort of thinking being discussed? 
I would have said it was Truth Social and Telegram and TikTok really up until Elon Musk bought Twitter and started letting all these people back on. Now you you have David Icke, you have some of the big QAnon promoters, some of the worst anti-vaccine promoters who are all coming back to to Twitter. And Twitter is really where the, the battle is. Twitter is where most people go. I mean, not that most people use Twitter, but most people who use that kind of, uh, you know, we used to call it microblogging. They do Twitter. They're not using Truth Social. They're not using Gab. If you're doing this kind of thing, you're doing it on Twitter. And so that's where sort of the left and the right both are. And that's where um, conspiracy theorists go to find new converts, to get into arguments and, and to own liberals. So it really is starting to ramp up again on Twitter because that's the most widely used space in that area. Is there much spread in the real world between people, do you think? There really is. It didn't used to be like that. You know, Q was a very online movement. It was, it was almost entirely in 8chan and Twitter and Reddit. But now with the kind of flaunting of lockdown rules in 2000 and early 2021, you started to see these um, conventions happening, these gatherings where big conspiracy promoters would uh, speak alongside big anti-vax promoters, big stolen election promoters, and they would you know, they they travel around the U.S. and they fill up mega churches with thousands of people selling tickets for hundreds of dollars, selling merchandise, and and just filling people's heads with day after day of conspiracy theories and hoaxes and and paranoia. And it's a very offline movement now. If QAnon is essentially bigger than itself, is there a concern that we focus too much on that as we have been and we allow the next big movement to develop under the radar? I think there is a concern and I think some of the reporting on QAnon tends to be in that very salacious kind of, you know, you'll never guess what stupid thing Q believers are sharing this week. And and we're missing kind of the bigger picture and focusing too much on the, the branding and the iconography because there will be another version of QAnon. There always is another uh, kind of secret knowledge, cult-like movement that starts very small, very underground, and then it kind of explodes into the mainstream and everyone's like, what is this? Where did this come from? It was QAnon and it probably will be something else. And it, we just don't know what that is. Maybe it hasn't even started yet. But those kinds of things develop very underground. And you get a lot of really well-meaning journalists who are like, well, I don't, I don't want to share it. I don't want to you know, give it oxygen. If we just ignore it, it will go away. And I think by now we know that these things do not go away. If they're ignored, they just grow with nobody paying attention to them. That's exactly what happened with QAnon. And I'm sure it will happen again with whatever the next iteration of QAnon is. Well, Mike, let's hope it's a little while until I ask you to come back and talk to me about whatever that <laughs> next, next thing might be. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. This is Jacob Jarvis. Thank you for joining me for The Bunker USA. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Katja Tomaszewicz, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>